This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, podcast people. It's me, Matthew Christopher, here with another episode of the Abandoned America podcast for you. It is, in fact, the one-year anniversary of the podcast, so that's exciting, for me at least. During that period, I've put out 24 episodes and have racked up 50,000 plays, which seems like a lot, although Lord knows that's probably a pittance compared to bigger and more established shows. In any case, I appreciate that so many of you have set aside the time to join me as I tell the stories of the places I love the most. Thank you! In celebration this week, we're going to be talking about the Fallside Hotel in Niagara Falls, New York, which is marginally less soul-crushing than some of the other places I've covered recently. Although, you know, by their very nature, abandoned places are a bit gloomy, and that's probably why I relate to them. Before we get to the episode, I'd like to remind you that if you enjoy my podcast, subscribing to it on your platform of choice and recommending it to friends is really helpful. I think it's safe to say if you're listening to my podcast or following my work, you enjoy photos of abandoned places. So if you'd like to see the photos of the Fallside Hotel, which really helps put the episode in context, I might add, or if you'd like to read a transcript of the essay portion of the episode, you can head on down to AbandonedAmerica.us and click on the podcast tab to go to the show notes page for this episode, which will give you a link to the Fallside Photo Gallery on my website, which I'm updating with some really cool panoramas that let you look around certain areas of the hotel. There's also a link in the description of the podcast, although some podcast platforms don't like to make those easy for people. The Abandoned America website has around 250 galleries of different abandoned places, and if you're really into it, consider making a donation or joining my Patreon. Just look me up under Abandoned America for exclusive photos, videos, behind-the-scenes stories, and a chance to vote on upcoming shows and galleries. There's a lot more, too, but you get the idea. Let's get back to the Fallside Hotel, though. The question I always ask myself when I'm working on the history of a place like this is, why would someone who hasn't gone to this place care about its story? Sure, if you grew up in Niagara Falls, New York, worked at the hotel, or maybe had your honeymoon there, learning more about its past makes sense. But what makes a random abandoned hotel meaningful or interesting to someone who doesn't have that connection? 
In a nutshell, that's what I consider my job here to be. To explain the larger story surrounding a place I visited in a way that gives it meaning as part of a bigger picture. With the false side, that bigger picture is the environmental cost of unchecked industries leading to the economic collapse of Niagara Falls, New York itself, and the efforts to revitalize the city that are currently in the works. So with that in mind, let's get to the story of the ill-fated Fallside Hotel. There's a certain stillness in places everyone has left, a clarity in the light that's difficult to capture in words or images. In the Fallside Hotel and Conference Center, you could feel how the building was on the cusp of something, as though it was in between worlds. Rain fogged the glass doors and poured through holes in the ceiling onto tables and nightstands. Outside the windows on the rear of the hotel, you could see the Niagara River flowing interminably along towards the falls ahead. It felt like the building was holding its breath in anticipation of something that was about to come. The fall site had many names over the years and was operated by many different owners. Originally, it was built as a Treadway Inn in 1957 on a 3.8-acre parcel of land in Niagara Falls, New York, that had previously been the front lawn for the spectacular Shredded Wheat Factory. Shredded Wheat had moved their primary base of operations to Naperville, Illinois, three years prior and shut down their bright, flag-festooned factory that had come to be known as the Palace of Light. Treadway Inn would provide the Niagara frontier not only with a haven for travelers, but, as an advertisement announcing its opening exclaimed, a place for area residents to dine, gather in meetings, entertain guests, discuss business, and convene socially. All of the rooms had individually controlled air conditioning, the most comfortable and modern furniture, and their own televisions. Luxuries at the time. Rates ranged from $8.35 for single rooms to $36 for three-room suites. The price for breakfast was as low as $0.60, cents and the dinner ranged from $1.75 to $5.25 in the public room which overlooked the river. Menu items included frog leg chablis, baked Indian pudding, rock cornish game hen, and lobster pie. The Treadway Inn was in many ways symbolic of the resurgence of tourism's prominence in the city's economy. While Niagara Falls had attracted European visitors as early as the 1600s and had been popularized as a honeymoon destination in the early 1800s, heavy industry had been a fierce competitor for the dominant source of income since the 1800s as well. The falls were a cheap and plentiful source of power, and were also used to evacuate waste created by mills and tanneries and the untreated sewage produced by the city's visitors and residents. The Grand Cataract was also home to the world's first hydroelectric plant, built by Westinghouse in 1895, and powered by Tesla's polyphase alternating current electricity, which was hailed by the president of the American Institute of Electrical Engineers as the most tremendous event in all of engineering history, and the point of origin for the electrification of the world. The cheap electrical power attracted even more industries, including paper mills and petrochemical and plastics companies. Many took advantage of lax enforcement of environmental policies, dumping toxic waste including mercury, dioxins, DDTs, and PCBs into lagoons, open pits at the outskirt of town over which neighborhoods like Love Canal were built, and the river itself. By the time the Treadway Inn was built, the environmental impact was catching up to Niagara Falls. Fish stocks dwindled, oil slicks bloomed on the surface of the waters, and dead birds were often found on the river's banks. The toll that industry was taking on the area was becoming noticeable, and as it grew, it would increasingly impact tourism. 
Through the 1960s, the aging companies that created the mess were relocating to less expensive areas. The Sholkov power station was mostly destroyed when it collapsed into the river in 1956, and land was seized from the Tuscarora Indian Reservation to build the Robert Moses Niagara Power Plant as a replacement, one of the many, many terrible things that were done in Robert Moses' name. The population of the area blossomed with an influx of construction workers and peaked at over 100,000 in the 1960s. Fifty years later, it would be under 50,000. The Treadway Inn heralded a reinvestment in tourism and was of such prominence in the community that when Senator John F. Kennedy visited the area during his presidential campaign in 1960, he delivered a speech in front of it. Three years later, a new, substantially larger Treadway Inn was built four miles away and the old one became the Parkway Inn. By the middle of the 1960s, the Parkway had over 200 guest rooms, a restaurant, a cocktail lounge, dining rooms and public rooms, administrative offices, and the Gaslight Terrace, created to provide a turn-of-the-century atmosphere as an appropriate setting for the enjoyment of dining reminiscent of that period. The Circle, an opulent dining area built in a recessed area of the floor, was added, and was the place to see and be seen, according to Ralph Aversa, who worked as a night auditor balancing receipts for $1.50 an hour at the Parkway Inn from 1968 to 1970, and later served as a city councilman. Aversa noted that local radio station WHLD was located in the building, and that the Hal Palumbo Orchestra performed at the restaurant frequently. The heyday of the Parkway was the 50s through the 80s, Aversa recalled. Every major political figure who visited the area went through there. Raul Sartini, an Italian immigrant who served as the general manager of the Parkway in the early 1970s, held high standards for the establishment. Aversa fondly remembered the way Sartini would frequently check the glasses and silverware to make sure they were spotless. If I learned anything from him, Aversa mused, it was to pay attention to details. Save for an armed holdup at the Parkway in 1965, things were going well and there was an overall sense of optimism for the future of the inn and the town of Niagara Falls itself. The mayor, E. Dent Lackey, was a fervent believer in urban renewal and aggressively pushed for the demolition of much of the historic downtown in order to secure state and federal funding to rebuild. It was to be a renaissance for the area, but ultimately hastened its decline with a number of ill-fated projects that only served to make the area less desirable to tourists. One of the most notable was the construction of the Robert Moses State Parkway, which severed access from the town to the waterfront. Though the Parkway Inn had its own exit, visitors still had to contend with crossing a highway that even Mayor Lackey himself described as nothing more than a Chinese wall, separating Niagara Falls tourists from the very destination they'd come to the town to see. With no state historic preservation board to oppose it at the time, several magnificent buildings like the Strand and Cataract Theaters were raised. Canada kept what they had and built around it, and we didn't, Aversa observed. They realized earlier than we did the value of their historic downtown. We demolished, and they rebuilt. By the 1970s, shells of abandoned factories dotted the town, and the repercussions of the lack of environmental regulations were becoming glaringly apparent. Projects began to shuffle around toxic waste to mitigate their impact on the Niagara River and surrounding communities, but the damage had been done. In the EPA journal, Eckert C. Beck, describes the horrifying condition of the Love Canal neighborhood in 1978. Quote, Corroding waste disposal drums could be seen breaking up through the grounds of backyards. Trees and gardens were turning black and dying. 
One entire swimming pool had been popped up from its foundation, afloat now on a small sea of chemicals. Puddles of noxious substances were pointed out to me by the residents. Some of these puddles were in their yards, some were in their basements, others yet on the school grounds. Everywhere the air had a faint, choking smell. Children returned from play with burns on their hands and faces." End quote. People were leaving Niagara Falls, New York by the thousands, and the city's reputation was suffering. Home prices and household income would continue to plummet in the decades to come as more of Niagara Falls residents slipped below poverty level. In the early 1970s, the Parkway Inn became a Ramada Inn, and then a few years later was rebranded yet again as the Days Inn Riverview. While the hotel boasted a Nintendo Entertainment System in every room, an outdoor heated pool, and close proximity to the casinos that were the current hope for saving the area's economy, the facilities were becoming outdated. By the time it was rebranded yet again in 2005 by Niagara Hospitalities as the Fallside Hotel and Conference Center, with the logo design that didn't even bother to change the overall shape from the day's end, presumably to cut costs incurred by buying new signs, the hotel was worn and badly in need of repair. In what seemed to me a subtle apology for previous failings, the sign over the door breathlessly and punctuationlessly proclaimed, under new ownership, major franchise coming soon. The reviews for the fall side, still floating around the online ether after the hotel's closure, are abysmal. One guest who stayed there in 2008 complained, quote, This hotel was a mess. First of all, the keys for the room did not work. Each and every time we left the room and came back, we had to try the key about 10 or more times before it would work. The service was very, very poor. Their so-called free breakfast, when we went down for it, the service people in a very rude manner said it's closed and we would have to pay. The room was totally a disaster. There was cobwebs, dirt in the window seal, the ice bucket was dirty, the toilet didn't work. Each time we use it, we have to fiddle with it so that it flush. Each time we slept on the bed, it felt like we were sleeping on someone's mess. I would never go back there." End quote. Another reviewer in 2006 angrily wrote of booking the hotel for a large group. The keys and air conditioning didn't work, the rugs were filthy, a pillowcase had blood on it, and the toilet had no cover. When $2,500 worth of camera equipment was stolen from the room of another guest in what the police determined was an inside job, the general manager brushed it off. What do you want? My employees only get paid $8 an hour, and why would you travel with all your cameras? Other online reviews now gone mention bugs, water leaking from the ceilings in the room, and mold problems. Niagara Hospitality filed for tax breaks to help finance renovations which never occurred and the tax breaks were subsequently revoked. Over $60,000 in arrears for county property taxes, the hotel was abruptly shut down in 2009. In an article in the Buffalo News, the president of Niagara Tourism and Convention Corp related his shock at finding the building vacant. The staff was trying to reach out to them a couple weeks ago, he said. They walked over there and found out that the doors were closed. When I arranged permission to photograph the fall side through the hotel's current owner, Faisal Marani, about three years later, the interior was a mess. A few areas, like the remnants of the circle with its enormous chandelier and mirrored piano, were in relatively good condition, and the newer tower section of the building looked as though it had just closed. The hotel's bar, Misty, seemed like it could be reopened at any time, but just around the corner black mold spread ominously up the walls. Most areas in the older section were in much worse condition. Sheets of paint and wallpaper hung haphazardly from the walls. 
Moss grew on carpets, and the laminate on the nightstands buckled into odd shapes amid stagnant pools of water. Though the vandalism would get much worse in the year or so to come, there was already evidence of it during my visit, including rooms where it was apparent squatters had been sleeping. Thieves scrapping copper wiring and plumbing were also problems. Though I didn't know it at the time, part of the reason for the water damage was because scrappers had left gaping holes in the roof. The water had been shut off improperly and the pipes broke during one of the winters, leaving water to gush into parts of the hotel for days. It was a building full of odd juxtapositions. Some rooms were as good as new, but Nether's crooked wall decorations glared menacingly over plaster-covered beds like malevolent eyes. The ballroom was still nearly immaculate, but the lobby was in shambles. Marani spoke of his own surreal experiences in the hotel, such as an encounter with a fox at the base of the stairs near the ballroom. The Marani Hotel Group owns the recently updated Four Points by Sheraton, which is on the property the Treadway Inn relocated to in 1963, and another renovated Holiday Inn on Rainbow Boulevard. The Fallside was their next investment in the community. The banking climate stalled the renovations, and then the environmental issues within the building hindered the project further. If they had just renovated the building, it would be much different, Marani said. We wouldn't have to tear down as much. As it stood, the water damage and mold remediation made the fall side an expensive project. In 2014, the process of demolishing most of the abandoned hotel began, and the new Doubletree by Hilton opened in 2016, with 194 guest rooms, an indoor pool and gym, a restaurant, and a patio facing the Niagara River. Marani doesn't see it as a gamble, citing upward trends in bookings at his other hotels and the unique location of the property. In addition to Marani's track record of successful projects and his careful research into the tourism trends in the New York side of Niagara Falls, the portion of the Robert Moses Parkway that cuts the property and much of the rest of the city off from the river was demolished and turned into a pedestrian-friendly road and biking trails. Mayor Paul Deister praised the change, saying, quote, Getting this project done is going to be tremendous, not just in a practical sense for the city of Niagara Falls, but also psychologically, end quote. It's hoped that making the falls more accessible to the town will lead visitors to explore it more, which in turn will help local businesses grow and thrive. The significance of the fall side, in any of its previous incarnations as a treadway or parkway or days in or ramada in, was never so much about its architecture. While there were areas of the building that were beautiful, like the ballroom or the circle dining area, its meaning is better understood through the lens of its relationship with those who visited it. For decades, the local community regarded it as one of the finest restaurants and hotels in the area, a place where they hosted their proms or came to enjoy a glass of wine by the river and conduct business. Guests from all across the country stayed there, some for their marriages or honeymoons, some just to visit the falls themselves and wonder in awe at their majesty, as people had done for centuries before them. The city still faces adjustments and struggles in the years ahead, but the decision to reopen the riverfront and the investment in the area's future by companies like the Marani Hotel Group are a promising indicator that Niagara Falls, New York might be preparing for a comeback. Just as the Parkway Inn mirrored the success of the American side of Niagara Falls when it was still flush with money from urban renewal projects and tourism, as well as its subsequent decline in the years that followed, I hope that its rebirth will be a symbol of a new direction for the area in years to come. At any rate, you can always stay at the Doubletree by Hilton Niagara Falls yourself and see. That's a personal recommendation, not an Adam getting paid to make, by the way. Marani was very kind to me about letting me photograph the old fall side and offering me his time to talk about his plans. 
He seems to really appreciate the area and wants to see it come back to life for the community, and I'd like to see that happen too. When I photographed the abandoned Fallside Hotel in 2011, it seemed to be waiting. The transitions between sections that appeared to be part of a still-functioning hotel and those that were in ruins were jarring. The remains of what it was were still very much present, and yet the process of decay was already unraveling it. It was an uneasy relationship, and the building seemed to be hurtling towards its own precipice, an inevitable fate that would require it to be torn down to be built anew. It was my birthday when I photographed the Fallside Hotel, a cold and gloomy morning that was about as unflattering to the surrounding area as possible. Despite the pall over the town, though, the hotel itself seemed transcendent. Water dripped, mold bloomed, and the slow but steady process of unrestrained erasure continued, indifferent to my presence. For such a small time, I was part of the hotel so many others had passed through, for better or for worse. Then the day finished, the moment was gone, and soon the Fallside Hotel was as well, off to whatever place all vanished things go when they are no longer a part of our waking world. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Abandoned America podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. The ending's happier than it is for a lot of places, at any rate. I already gave you the details on the show notes in the gallery on my website, so I think we're covered there. Music in the episode was by Scott Buckley and Ashot Danielian. I'll have links to their work in the show notes. I'd like to thank my Patreon members for their support, which makes this podcast possible, with a special thanks to Peter E., Jen D., Terry G., Donna B., L. M., Kathy C., Mary Lynn D., Alexander F., and Steve M. And I'd like to thank you personally for listening. I spend a lot of time creating these things, and it's always gratifying to know they have an audience. As always, I'm Matthew Christopher, and you've been listening to the Abandoned America podcast. <laughs>